Hello and welcome to Movies Last Night. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Scott? Smashing. Just smashing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go. I have a nicotine lozenge in my mouth, which is going to satiate my desire for a cigarette. Um, oh. And um, I'm pretty much, that's all I need. I'm Uh-oh. just ready and focused. Laser focused. <laughs> this podcast is going to go off the rail. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so. Before we start anything, I just wanted to tell you one thing. This is a news flash, and it's hot off the presses. Oh! Guess what movie Edgar Wright has just signed on to do? Dune Part Two. No, oh. we wish. Um, the Running Man. The ru- the Running Man. They're remaking yep. the Running Man. It looks like it is, yeah. Because according to IMDb, he signed on for the Running Man, and the description is uh, in the future uh, in a dis dystopic future um such and such so basically yeah it's got to be the running man the the world needs it the world needs it well you know i feel like if anybody could do it and and perhaps like give it a bit of juice it's edgar wright now am i happy that edgar wright is doing this no not at all um (laughs) i really really wish he wasn't doing this but uh i just this second saw it before we started recording Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I do love the original, though. I couldn't... I couldn't even tell you the last time I, that I watched it, so... It holds up, dude. Really holds up. I watched it about a year, a year <laughs> does, or so ago. Does it really yeah. hold up? No, it does. It's, it's really good. I think it's probably... I would put it in the top... Top four Schwarzenegger movies. Top four Schwarzenegger, you're going Running Man. Yeah, in the top. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the top, but I would say it's in the top four. All right. All right. Because we've got juniors in there, twins. <laughs> I'm joking. Wait, they, wait no. I was going to say, wait, this is, <laughs> is this the top four real quick? <laughs> yeah, it is. Junior, <laughs> twins. Um, no. Um, yeah, I would, I would put it in it for my personal top four Arnie movies. Um, it's going to be Terminator 2, um, Last Action Hero, uh, probably Twins, because I love that movie so much, and then I would probably put Running Man at fourth. Hmm. You kind of threw me off with this one. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, if, if I was going to say, like, number one <laughs> Schwarzenegger movie, I mean, you got to go Conan. <laughs> you got to go Conan. Which one, barbarian or destroyer? A barbarian. You can't go. Ooh, dest- I, you can't do destroyer. You Wilt Chamberlain and and Grace Jones. Yeah, isn't destroyer the one with um, Red Sonja in too? Uh, I think so. I think so. In the beginning. yeah, 
dude, you gotta go destroyer. Yeah, you got you nah, you gotta go <laughs> barbarian. You're crazy. And then you go predator. Um, oh yeah, he is good in predator. Yeah. I mean well, arguably arguably predator Oh, that's tricky. Predator Terminator 2 is probably his best movie. That's really difficult decision. I think Predator is almost a perfect movie. Like almost a perfect movie. Almost, yeah. It would have been it would have been perfect if they killed Arnold at the end, but you know, gotta live. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if this is true, but when I was a kid, I was I was always told that the guy inside of the Predator suit was John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Which I that's not real, is it? <laughs> no, that's not real. <laughs> that's what we all thought when we were kids for some reason. What? Were you drinking cough syrup? That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme is like five foot one. I know, but maybe, you know, but like I was at um, Madame Tussauds this one time and they had an Arnie thing next to the Queen. It was like David Beckham, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Queen. And Makes I stood sense. next to Arnold and he's, I was taller than him. You were taller than him? Mm-hmm. I think, I think Arnie's only like six foot. But, but were you as wide as him? Um, no, no, not, not back then. Now I am, but it's not muscle. It's just choke. It's just, it's just flab. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll actually get on with the podcast today rather than the nonsense that we're talking about. Um, so- and I'm, lo- I'm loving it so far. I know, right? Just keeping it irreverent, <laughs> keeping it fresh. Um, we're going to talk about Last Night in Soho um, at some point in this episode. Um, we both saw it at the weekend. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about it, even though I did spy on your um, letterboxed what you reviewed it as, which is a little... Um, I was kind of... I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have snooped, but I, I had to know if you'd reviewed it or not, because on my letterbox, I don't review anything. I've just got into the habit now of going back through the years and trying to add as many films as I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, which is I kind didn't of know, addictive. Yeah, no, I didn't. You know, it is actually it's very, very addictive. Um, I didn't know. Like, I I don't mess around with the app too much, so I didn't know that you could just say, "Oh, I've watched it" without rating it. I thought you had to rate it for a count. So that yeah. that. That might not be my real rating. You don't know. I know. Well, I think it's good that you can put watch without rating because I think if you have to rate everything, like I, I don't want people to know what I think about movies. I want them to know that I've seen it, but I like, you know what I mean? Like, I like the option of being able to just like tag the movie that I've seen, but I'll tell you you this, Eric, you don't want people to judge you. Exactly. Yeah. Because you'd be looking at it, you'd be like, wait a second, he gave this movie five stars? He gave, um, twi- he gave twins five stars? <laughs> yeah, totally, I would totally give twins. So what I've started doing is I go, I went by yeah, and I do like 2021, and then I go through every single movie and take every one that I've seen, and then I went back to 2020, and now I'm on 2019, and I'm just going to keep going back in time and logging every movie I've seen. But I'll tell you this, Eric, it is disturbing the amount of content that i've seen oh like, yeah 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 when you add it up you're like holy shit yeah um it's wild and, and the thing is is that's not everything you've seen more than likely because i'm sure there's things that you're forgetting too you know or oh yeah easy i, I can't i can't even 
I can't even fathom the amount of uh, hours that I've spent watching movies, dude. And, and the thing is, is we're we're amateurs at this. Like, think about people who professionally do this. That's just that blows my mind. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I think next to the 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 the, the normal man or woman, I think this applies to you too. Um, but I've seen way more than the average person. And I think that's because of my time at Blockbuster Video and like growing up and like, you know, but like it is, it is pretty bad. It, um, I was just, log- I was logging stuff and Letterboxd does this thing where it lets you log like Netflix originals too, or like, like TV shows. So you can like mm-hmm. log that you've seen Black Mirror or you've yeah. seen such and such. And when, once you start adding those in too, it gets really, really complicated and it, and like, but it's super addictive. Like I'll go on my break cause I'm trying not to smoke right now and I'm just doing yeah. nicotine. So I'll go on my break and I just set my whole break and I'm just like, log, 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 <laughs> log. <laughs> I, w- I wish there was a feature where it was like you would log it and then it would tell you the amount of time. Like it would add up the times of the movies. And so oh. at, w- when you're done, you have this hour amount. <laughs> That you've seen, so you can like spiral into a dark, dark, deep depression as you're watching yeah. the number go up and up and up. Yeah, yeah, that like, would I be crushing. Have, yeah, I, I could, I could have invented Google, but instead I had to watch, you know, Hocus Pocus or something. <laughs> and it's like, and it logs how many times you've seen it. So it's like you've oh, seen Hocus yeah. Pocus oh, seven and a half yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that reminds me of our buddy Jim. Uh, when we play on Xbox Live, um, on the the Division Two, uh, you can when I when you're playing and in like you're running along next side next to him, you can click on his character and like observe his character. So sometimes I'd look at his character, and then it, it when you click on him, it'll show you what Gary's we use in and what what have you. But it also shows his hour count in the game. Oh my god! Yeah, Jim was up to it was like over a week. <laughs> of like consecutive hours like it was like it was in weeks it wasn't in hours or days it was in weeks i mean we're talking like maybe over a thousand hours <laughs> on that game and now if you think that's bad if you add up all the movies yeah it would be in a different league yeah totally yeah we'd smash oh, okay. that number oh yeah easy easy um so why don't we talk about Edgar Wright before we get into what we thought about last night in Soho? Just figured we did mention a little while back that we were going to do a special on Edgar Wright, just like we did a special on Wes Anderson. But I guess the way this month shaped shaped out, and like all like at the end of October, movies were just dropping, dropping, dropping. Yeah, so busy. So obviously that got sidelined. <clears throat> um, yeah. So this would be a good way to kind of like knock them out a bit. You're, you're going to have to go down the list a little bit because I, I honestly think there's some stuff that I haven't seen by him. Hmm. Okay, well, it's pretty simple with Edgar Wright. It actually doesn't have a big catalog, a super huge catalog. So Edgar Wright really, um, he cut his teeth uh, doing music videos for like a lot of Britpop bands. Edgar Wright was born, I think it was like 1974. So yeah. he's a bit like, five or so years older than me um i'm i'm not sure whereabouts he lies with you eric he's probably similar age to you um yeah so 
he could see doing uh music videos for a lot of like yeah a lot of Britpop bands which makes sense given his age um when he was like coming in age being young making stuff then he went on to uh direct a very very famous um well i don't know if it's famous but it's much loved um british television show called spaced which aired on channel four i think it was in england which myself and all my friends watched religiously i want to say that i i probably watched a few episodes of that and i don't remember where uh maybe it was on early netflix or something like that maybe um but i i think i when i started to follow him a little bit um or maybe i i followed just like simon pegg and i think wasn't simon pegg in that oh yeah so a lot of um edgar wright's cast uh of like usual characters like nick frost simon pegg they were both in spaced um a bunch of other famous British comedians, um, stage actors were in space too. So like in and out of his movies, especially his English set movies, the earlier ones that he co-wrote with Simon Pegg, like a lot of the same cast comes back through and filters through. So like he kept it in that like small little group at the beginning. Um, and he's worked with like a ton of like British, um, like Steve Coogan, you know what I mean? Like, luminaries of british comedy um steve coogan arguably might be the greatest comedian england's ever produced in my opinion um so going through all that so like spaced was his breakout now the thing about spaced is you should if you do get a chance to watch i think you'll love it spaced is like quintessential edgar wright and you can everything that's in the edgar wright like canon or like in the edgar wright um as a filmmaker, all of like you, you could tell he got all of his chops from Spaced. So like quick cuts, jump cuts, the way he edits everything, um, yeah. the use of soundtrack, the use of music. He, there's some very very cool homages to things and like pop culture references in Spaced. Specifically at the time, like um, the video game Resident Evil, uh, he does some really cool uh, things that with with the the video game soundtrack to Resident Evil and where he cuts it into certain things. And it's just like, I think at at that age when space came out was like 1999, like coming into the millennium, Mm -hmm. like the, uh, the big celebration. Um, I was very much at that age where I was like hanging out in student, uh, residences, bed sets. Um, all my friends were like at college. I was at college and then, um, uh, university rather. And then, um, so, Spaced was kind of like we all watched it and it was something we could all relate to. We would all listen to the same kind of music. We were all playing PlayStation, like early PlayStation, you know. So it was like culturally, Spaced was just like the perfect thing at the perfect time for me mm. when I was growing up. So from there, in the success of Spaced, um, he eventually released his first uh, movie, which is Shaun of the Dead. Now, Shaun of the Dead, obviously, classic zombie horror movie very much a bit a spin and a play on the classic romero um zombie movies like dawn of the dead day of the dead that kind of thing um and what's interesting about spaced is space became very uh, sorry um shawn of the dead shawn of the dead became very very popular very quick and but you know who um championed that a lot uh, and i don't know if he had something to do with helping it get distribution but tom cruise was a huge fan of that movie which is oh, super really? weird. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. Which explains why Simon Pegg went on to work with Tom Cruise. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so I don't know if Tom Cruise had something to do with help getting that promoted or like released in US and stateside. Um, so anyway, um, after that, we go pretty much roll straight into Hot Fuzz. Um, mm-hmm. After Hot Fuzz, we go, um, he did one of the fake trailers for um, the Grindhouse the um, Quentin Tarantino Rodriguez yeah. um, double feature and his was the the trailer for Don't um, which was oh, yeah. alongside <laughs> the trailer for like Machete and stuff like that yeah so yeah. Um, and I think going back then Planting Seeds where everybody was like oh I'd love to see Edgar Wright do like another horror movie you know like a horror horror movie um, so and then after Grindhouse, that little short, he went in to do Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which I kind of came out of the blue for me. And I was not, I didn't follow like the, the graphic novel. I didn't read the book or anything like that. Um, after Scott Pilgrim, what we go into The World's End, um, which is technically the end of his trilogy. So he has a trilogy of movies starting with Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, into um, The World's End. And that's his Cornetto trilogy. And if anybody's wondering what he means by Cornetto, Cornetto is, it's the Three Flavors trilogy. And Cornetto is an, an ice cream that you buy in England at gas stations or like convenience stores. It's mm. just like a shitty little ice cream that's wrapped in a new. <laughs> um, he actually goes to, he eats one at the beginning of Shaun of the Dead. Um, when he goes to the store, he gets when he comes out and he's eating it. So like the, that comes back a few times in those movies. So that's the end of that trilogy. After that, um, we jump into Baby Driver. Um, and then after Baby Driver, he has the Sparks Brothers documentary, which just came out recently. And I believe as you're listening now, it just launched on Netflix. If anybody's interested in watching that, I know I'm going to watch it. Um, looks really good. Yeah. After the Sparks Brothers documentary, Last Night in Soho, Last Night in Soho suffered the same fate that all of the movies we talk about did was supposed to come out last year, got pushed up this year. And then that leads up. That's, that's basically it for his movies. And that, and now running. And now the running man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so which ones have you seen, Eric? I've seen all of them except Scott Pilgrim. Oh, wow. You haven't seen Scott Pilgrim? No, no. Um, oh, okay. And then I, but I've always heard like, oh, Scott Pilgrim's amazing. This and that. And I was like, I have no interest in seeing it. Well, it's funny. I went to see Scott Pilgrim and I saw it in the movie theater and um, it was in Appleton in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went to like an early screening. I think it was like me and somewhat like two other people in the theater. The movie finished. I came back out, bought another ticket, went straight back in and watched it again. <laughs> immediately again. Um, really? Yeah. So you could tell that I love Edgar Wright. Like I love him. Um, as I just... I, I yeah I adore pretty much everything he does, but Scott Pilgrim is really interesting. Scott Pilgrim to me is so if he's like he's learning all these new skills when he's making Spaced, um, and he takes all of that, then he starts infusing his movies with that same kind of like pop culture irreverence and like that specific like hyper fast um, editing style that he has. So you can see that going through all of his movies. And it gets stronger and stronger with each movie, I think. And he gets a bit more like, he gets more polished with each movie. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim is kind of like his, like the top of that, that's like the apex where like the stuff he's doing in Scott Pilgrim that is like, just like 
on a technical level is just like phenomenal uh mm. if you watch it now i'm not a filmmaker but i could appreciate what he's doing that's different because i've seen so many films so like scott pilgrim is just like way i i think it's basically way becomes like a master of his style of film um is scott pilgrim after scott pilgrim you can see a lot of that in baby driver and then in this new last night in soho where he's kind of just like he's like i don't know i it's i the way I would describe it is like, you know, if you have an athlete and like an athlete gets really, really good. And then mm. like they hit that point where like, say like Michael Jordan hits a point where he's like, okay, we know that Jordan's like amazing. And then you have that like run of a couple of years where he's just like on point all the time. Yeah. That's kind of what's happened with him in terms of his like craft as like technical craft. Um, so, but definitely the, yeah, the the formation of all of that started with Scott Pilgrim, in my opinion. So I do think I think I, th- I think it'll enjoy it. Like it, you don't have to know anything about the source material because I didn't know anything about the source material, and um, I have no interest in going and reading the books afterwards. Uh, but I loved it. It's it's super fun. Um, and it's like super high energy. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Um, I remember really liking Shaun of the Dead. Um, I had seen multiple times. I I just I like the twist during the end where it kind of where it almost turns serious, not serious in a way, but you know serious for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, where everybody just starts getting like torn apart. Um, yep. Hot fuzz. I honestly, I think I've only seen one. I think mm-hmm. I did. I remember liking it, but it it I don't think it left a huge impression on me. Hmm. Um, obviously no Scott Pilgrim, uh, World's End, same, I saw it once, um, and Baby Driver, saw it once, so there's, there's, it seems like there's always kind of been, um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say love, hate, or anything like that, but it's like, I, I will, I would go and see his movies, um, just for what they are, you know, not, not because I want to see it because Edgar Wright did it or, or I'm, or I'm looking forward to that style because I think secretly low key, he's trying to get me to like musicals and I've refused to do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) because that's what he's doing. That's, that's what he's secretly doing. And he's not telling anybody this or it's, it's all, you know, (laughs) under the radar. But he's trying to get you to like musicals, and I refuse. Um, you know what it is? He kind of <laughs> is, though. Yeah, he is. <laughs> um, I mean, I like like with Baby Driver, it was the whole um, the gimmick. You know, I was like, oh, let's see how he pulls off this kind of gimmick uh, within the movie, which was you know the music that the baby listens to while everything is happening. Um, and I think I would probably have to watch that again to really kind of appreciate everything that he kind of went for in it. And, um, and it seems like I was only really interested in watching his movies once. There was nothing that pulled me back into it. Like, oh, I have to watch this again, you know, because uh, either nostalgia or or... Uh, a love of what it was or something like that. I, it, it was always just like, oh yeah, I remember watching that and that's about as far as I got with it. 
Yeah. What, well, that kind of makes sense, though. So today I rewatched Baby Driver again. And the only reason I rewatched it is because it's one of the ones I own on, like, my Apple TV. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't have to, like, search for anything. I'll just put Baby Driver on and I'll watch it. So what's interesting what you said, though, because I feel like in the earlier movies, especially the, the Simon Pegg movies, um, the writing is so different in, in the written, more like, uh, like, the writing's really, really good on those movies. So, like it pays for rewatch. Like I've seen Shaun of the Dead multiple, multiple times. I've seen Hot Fuzz multiple times. Hot Fuzz gets better every time I see it actually. Um, and then um, World's End's good. I think World's End's the weakest of those three movies, but the writing's still really good in it. Um, the minute he breaks and then he goes um, stateside and he starts doing like um, the Scott Pilgrim movie and then Baby Driver. And then it's a different writing team and it's like a different cast too. So he's not using his regulars. Um, Mm. I've noticed that like for me, um, that's kind of how it is. I I think you're right about that. The, The movies don't have that much replay value in terms of like the plot or the script or like, you know, like the, like, the replay value comes from just like watching the the technical aspect of it for me mm-hmm. anyway yeah. and enjoying the ride and like the the thing you mentioned about uh musicals too is almost 100% true because they essentially are musicals the musicals without the characters singing um yeah. but they they move like musicals like all of his movies do that especially these past 3 so i would say Scott Pilgrim Baby Driver Last Night in Soho have this so baby driver is worth watching again because it's not just that he's doing things with music that movie is literally synced to music every single thing when characters tap the fingers on desks when they open a drawer when they sit down when they like if they put in the headphones unplug the headphones every single gesture that every single character makes is synced to the music and it is absolutely insane when you watch it the opening sequence which plays like a one shot where baby is walking to pick up coffee and then he goes he gets coffee and then he 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 bumps into the girl that he fancies who works at the diner and he starts following her the song that's playing at the beginning every single thing that he's doing is synced to that music and not only that incidental things that are happening offside or to the side of the camera are synced so like the lyrics will go, whoa, 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 or boom, boom, boom. And as he's walking by, the graffiti will say, boom, boom, boom. And it'll pan by in the time that the lyric drops in the song. Like it is crazy how complicated yeah. that must have been to Fulham. And like, just like the, the, but that's, he's using that language of musicals. You're 100% right, Eric. Because yeah. when we were watching last night in Soho, you, before it started, you turned to me and you go, you haven't sucked me into seeing a musical, have you? <laughs> <laughs> and then when it started, I was like, oh shit, I kind of have. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, um, and there's some stuff I, I noticed on rewatching last night in Soho where like I'll tie in some of the things that he does that's really clever with that too. But um for me, that's why I like Edgar Wright. And I think that's why Edgar Wright's biggest fans tend to be filmmakers. So like Tarantino loves him. Like, mm-hmm. like a lot of like, so he has this kind of like, he's in that kind of like network of filmmakers and filmmakers really, really like him. And I think it's because he's that kind of a filmmaker. He's like, a, he's like, I would say he's like the modern Brian De Palma. Yeah. Um, because De Palma has a language of his th- films 
that nobody else has. Like the way De Palma uses a camera, the way he does one shots, uh, the way he sets up stages and moves moves through things. Um, Wright, I think, is on De Palma's level. And I think there's another filmmaker right now who's up there too. I don't think he makes good movies, but um, the guy who just did Malignant, um, who also did The Conjuring, um, is it Justin James uh, Wan? James Wan, yeah. Yeah. Malignant is a terrible movie. But if you watch it, the stuff that he does with the camera in that movie, that is out of control. It's so good. It's mm-hmm. so good. Uh, there's specifically a shot where she's running through the house and the camera flips as a bird's eye view of the house. And then it sections off the house and you see her running from rooms, running up and around. And it's like dazzling. So I would say like, yeah, you've got, you've got James Wan and Edgar Wright who are very much in that school of just like, like, I'm not saying it's all aesthetics, but it's very, very stylized. Way more, mm. I feel, than anybody else right now. Because you could, you could argue that, like, I know when something's an Edgar Wright movie. I can tell. Like, if you you would have put on Last Night in Soho and didn't tell me Edgar Wright did it, I'd be like, did Edgar Wright do this? You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> you yeah, can't do yeah. that with a lot of directors, really. Not unless a, a director has a recurring cameraman like Quark. Uh, Tarantino uses the same camera guy. Um, there's a few people who have their like visual style, but like not many. Yeah. Um, yeah. What that's interesting that you say that. But once we get into the review uh, part of this, I'll I'll kind of uh, expand a little bit more on that probably. Um, but that 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 really kind of resonates with me. What you said about about style. Um, so when we talk about that, then I'll get back into that part. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, I I'll save. The, I was going to make a comparison between like the one movie kept popping in my head when we were watching last night in Soho, and um, I'm going to save it till we talk about the movie though, rather than just drop it in now because I think it might give away too much in terms of like my review of the movie. But like, yeah, it was like a very. Sp- specific movie that sprang to mind and i'll bring it up i've already told you what it is but the listeners Mm. obviously don't know yet um so that i mean that goes pretty much through his movies like i said he doesn't have a lot of movies he hasn't been around i mean like it's over a 20 year stretch really i'd say 20 22 year stretch between his first movie and now um and yeah not a lot of movies but i think like i think i think there's a lot of people who are like he has like his following. I think he has like a cult following. I would say my biggest regret is that Edgar, not my regret, like, but one of my, one, one thing I do regret that never happened is that Edgar Wright never got to finish making Ant-Man for Marvel and he got kicked off of making Ant-Man. And I feel like that's a shame. Yeah. Because I think they were trying to like rein him in too much into that. Like, it's got to look like a Marvel movie. Don't go too crazy. And I I think Mm. he was just like, nah, fuck it. I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? If I'm not going to yeah. be able to do what I want to do, um, which is, I think is a real shame, especially as Marvel down the line, let Taika Waititi come in and fuck around in their sandbox and then made the best Marvel movie, arguably. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, yeah. I ironically you know? did that. Yeah. Yeah. And by the sounds of things, they brought in Chloe Zhao to make an absolute stinker. So, <laughs> um, that's the word on the street about Eternals anyway. <laughs> Spoilers, um, we won't be watching Eternal. No, we won't. I <laughs> we talked about it, but like I can't I can't I I'm not gonna do it. I don't want to sit yeah. through it. It's like probably three hours long. It looks boring as shit. 
Um, <laughs> and, well, and I mean, by all, we all we watched uh, yeah, we watched Ten Rings. That's all. That's about as much as we could do for you people. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> what more do you want from us? You know. <laughs> but like, I wonder if part of the reason that movie's getting so much heat right now is um, because. I wonder how qualified Chloe Zhao was to make a movie on that scale. Like, because she's never made anything that big before. So, like, I don't know if that's like, I don't know if she's just kind of like out of a depth with that. I mean, I, I obviously I don't I'd have know. to see the movie. I'd have to see the movie to, to, to be able to say that. But it just feels like, by all intents and purposes, it's pretty boring, um, which is a shame. Because she's obviously very talented in like, yeah. It's it's a bummer that she's getting hit with that kind of like, you know, like a cat that it might sit mean, very well for a career after this. Yeah, I mean, but how do you remake? I mean, how do you make a movie that it just feels like it's been remade and remade and remade? You know, like yeah, it's a new storyline, but it's still it's still a Marvel movie. You know, it's still, yeah, it, it's still gonna it, like. Yeah, it's going to hit the beats that it's going to hit, and you're not going to be surprised by any of it. Yeah. At least and I, they I, it, like, I don't think the I will. Property. No, no, yeah. totally. Like, have you, ever, have you even heard of The Eternals? Like, no. obviously, I don't give a shit about comic books, no. so I don't know I, any of the Not books. at all. But, like, I'd heard of, like, Iron Man and Spider-Man, but, like, I feel like when it, by the time, and I'd, I'd even heard of Ant-Man, and then it gets down to, like, The Eternals, and I'm like, the who? Yeah. Like, the what? <laughs> the what? The what? Um, so Shang Chi and the Ten Rings, that, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know that turned out pretty good. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It just looks very weighty. It looks you could tell by the trailers. It was very. It like it, it was very somber and like very heavy feeling in the trailers. And I'm kind of like uh, that. This is totally not right for a Marvel movie. And I guess like the the hounds are out for it now. The dogs are out for it. So they've got. All these people complaining about false diversity, which is such a ridiculous conversation. And like, I would definitely like people listening to this to know, I don't, I'm, I'm not speaking for you, Eric, but like for me, like, I don't give a shit who's in a movie. I don't give yeah. a shit what, what race they are, what sex they are, what gender they like identify with. Like, I don't give a damn. A good movie is a good movie. And I feel yeah. like the argument that people throw at movies will be like, oh, well, they changed the, they changed the race of this character just for false diversity. It's like, you need to get a life. Like you need to really get a life. Like, yeah. and I know that, I know that they, they're coming after that movie for that. So like, you've got all these people saying, uh, the, that, um, certain journalists are given a better reviews because that has diversity in the cast, which is nonsense. Yeah. Cause I don't think people would do that. You wouldn't write a better review just because of the, you know what I mean? Like the movie is either good or it isn't good. So you've got like these two sides of these, the, this argument where people are raging on this thing. And like, I just feel sorry for her. Like, I hope she can go back to doing like something interesting and like, she's clearly a very, very talented filmmaker. And I hope this isn't like, this doesn't sink her. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think she'll but do she, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the the couple that did the um, Captain Marvel movie, um, that's the team that did Half Nelson, um, which is a great movie if, if nobody's seen Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I was a bit worried for those two because I was like, oh, this like Captain Marvel got like savaged. And I was like, I hope this doesn't destroy it, you know? So 
But I think that when these guys go on to make these movies, you sign up for these movies. I think you have to make a deal with the devil where you're like, okay, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to just got offered a Marvel movie. Um, my last movie did pretty well at Sundance and it cost $20,000 to make. And now they want me to make Iron Man six. So like <laughs> a bazillion dollar I, movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What are you going to, what are you going to do? Yeah, I know. I mean, you got to take it. You, you would have to take it. I mean, I it, it's just a, I think it's just a different opportunity that, that, you know, it's a different challenge, you know, I'm sure they look at it like, can I kind of step up to the plate and, and uh, be trusted with like something of that, um, with that property, you know? So I, I mean, I, I assume that they just look at it as a challenge and try and do their best with it. Um, I, I mean, as much as I kind of uh, poo poo the whole, you know, Marvel stuff, I, I couldn't make that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't come close to doing something like that. I wouldn't even know how to, you know, I mean, that they're doing kind of the, the job that they were hired to do and trying to do it to the best of their ability. So, you know, it it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's, the, the movies weren't made for me sort of thing, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm not going to go see any more of their movies anymore because they decided to make a Marvel movie or whatever, you know. If Tarantino oh, yeah, decided, totally. yeah, Tarantino decided, like, you know, I'm going to make the next Eternals two or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's not like I'm going to be like, I'm never watching his movies again. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it is what like, it is. You're a solid, yeah. you're a solid yeah. Tarantino. <laughs> It'd be, yeah. well, he, he was going to do that Star Trek movie. Um, I really hope that comes to light. I doubt it will, but I really hope it does. Yeah, um, that would be. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, Simon I mean, Pegg was going to direct it. It written yeah. by Tarantino, directed by Simon Pegg, which is perfect because it's all dialogue. It's all you know. Yeah, I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah, so who knows? But um, well, that mean that kind of goes through. That's our Edgar Wright retrospective. <laughs> Eric's seen like one and a half of the movies. Um, he's not really that big of a fan. I've seen them all and I love them. So that sums up Edgar Wright <laughs> for movies last night. Um, so this this concludes part one of our podcast. Um, and then we're go- I'm going to cut something in here and then we're going to come back and we're going to move on to our initial thoughts and feelings on last night in Soho. Special report. Evening, Eric. Evening, Scott. Hello, Movies Last Night listeners. It's me, Zach, your lovable Southern moviegoer and reviewer. Uh, And it was very nice of Eric and Scott to invite me back on uh, to give my thoughts on our recent viewing of Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Uh, So, folks, I went into this as a blank canvas. Uh, All I knew was Wright had directed a number of movies I liked, uh, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Baby Driver. Um, So I had not seen a trailer or a synopsis or a review or anything. Absolute zilch. Uh, And sometimes from my personal experience watching movies, uh, that's when you can actually get swept up into a movie that actually ends up being really, really good. Um... So even without seeing anything on this movie, uh, Wright's resume had my interest, and uh, 
everything was peaked. Um, so as far as the movie, uh, I'm going to say right off the bat that I freaking loved it. Um, for me, the pros definitely outweigh any cons. Um, so we'll just get into the, uh, the good stuff. I'll try to stay short and focused if I can. Uh, first off, the soundtrack was fantastic. Uh, so I grew up listening to a lot of these songs thanks to my mom's musical taste. Uh, so that was a good way at the beginning to kind of give a bit of fun and lighthearted uh, take on Ellie and kind of her quirkiness when it comes to her fashion sense uh, and how she kind of sees the world. Um, I definitely love the costuming and design um, and the whole look of the 1960s London. Uh, just full of that dazzle and sounds. Uh, but then it also starts showing you that seedier side um, that you kind of start to notice as the film progresses. Um, for me, probably the biggest pro um, was, I guess it's Thomason McKenzie, uh, who was in the role of Eloise or Ellie. Um, the cast was great, but I thought she was so good. Uh, how she plays that character is perfect. Uh, the way she delivers her lines, uh, her tone of voice, that kind of cadence, that uncertainty, kind of wavering, quivering, uh, the facial recognition, uh, reactions. Um, she definitely projects that timid, hurt, doubtful, disappointed vulnerability and fear also um, as she's succumbing to the mental toll that everything is going on around her in terms of the present and also her connection with the character uh, Sandy played by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, in that 1960s plot line um, since she is able to transport herself uh, via the uh, flat she is renting from Miss Collins. Uh, my final thoughts on the good stuff that I enjoyed, uh, I did enjoy the two big plot twists that came up. Uh, I know, I know, there's probably tons of people who picked up on it earlier in the movie, uh, but I didn't. I was pretty sucked in. I was watching the movie, enjoying it. Um, I was surprised at one of them in particular because I had forgotten about a very short scene uh, in the middle of the movie uh, between two characters, and so that actually came up at towards the end and that really uh, gave me a nice little surprise uh, so yay for the good stuff uh, my only real con basically had to do with parts of the story uh, I was really wanting to have some sort of explanation about uh, Ellie's quote quote gift um, and then also her mom's storyline you know about her experience in London and what had happened that resulted in uh, her character um, and they left me hanging in that final scene as Ellie is uh, observing what is going on in the mirror at the fashion show. So uh, it kind of feels like, man, maybe a sequel, maybe. Uh, so in the end, I would definitely recommend this film. Uh, if you dig on the psychological horror thriller drama genre, checks all the boxes. Um, so yeah, that's my review on Last Night in Soho. I uh, want to thank Eric and Scott again for uh, having me on. Always fun times. See y'all later. Hello, welcome back um, to part two. Eric and I now are going to get into what we thought about last night in Soho, which we saw on Saturday at the movie theatre. Um, I'm just going to shoot it to you straight away, Eric. What did you think? Um, ah, you always do this to me. <laughs> I was, I I was going to switch it on you, but that's fine. Um, we can switch. We can switch. No, 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 no. I'm going to do it. I'm going to destroy this movie that you love so much. Make you cry. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, 
I was actually I was surprised at it. Um, I would say that I I enjoy I enjoyed it as it was going on. As it when it started, I was kind of luke. I was very lukewarm with it because it once again it starts with music, and I'm like, he's doing it to me again. He's he's <laughs> he's pulling me into it, and I didn't ask for it, but you know whatever. Um, but it, it, it has a lot of things in there that I enjoyed. And that is like the, like the camera work that he uses, um, to convey, uh, like emotion and tension and, uh, suspense and, um, his use of uh, definitely his use of lighting and uh, the different camera tricks, stuff like that. And, but but lighting is also very key to um, the emotions that he's trying to kind of convey on screen. Um, I thought it was very interesting, not to get into too many uh, spoilers, we'll save that um, for later, but um, there's... I think I think it tries to trick you in the beginning with the main character and it it is wanting you to think that there is something wrong with her when in actuality there isn't anything wrong with her she's just a uh, very sensitive to things around her but it it kind of it's almost a it's almost kind of a a red herring in a way it wants you it wants you to go one way, but in actuality, it's it's the other. You know, it's it it if you pay close attention, you can kind of pick up on what he is trying to sell you with uh, her kind of character or her maybe I, I'll quote I'll quote unquote character flaws that she has, um, which isn't the case. Um, so I. I, I kind of I really liked that aspect of it. Now the things that I didn't like about it, it, and it comes up with most of his movies for me, and that is style over substance, right? He hit stylistically, it is he is, you know, top of the food chain. You know, he's he's putting everything that he can on screen. It looks great. I mean, the movie looks amazing. Um, the way the camera movement and everything and how everything moves uh, on screen is just is top notch. But but because of that, for me at least, it seems like substance is sacrificed. That by saying that, I mean substance and character development. Characters are very very one note. Um, you don't get a lot of kind of in depth when it comes to uh, a majority, 90% of the people on screen, um, there's only uh, maybe two or three people that you kind of get a little bit of a, a deeper understanding of what's going on with them and then the story itself. And everybody else just is kind of um, placeholders almost in a way. They're just, they're just there to kind of deliver a line, move on, it, and to try and push uh, the main character's story along, but not really adding 
a ton to it. Um, I and that is you know from the kind of uh, the bitchy roommate, you know the mean girl sort of roommate who doesn't really progress any further than that. The kind of doting I'm going to call him boyfriend right now. Uh, super one note. Uh, uh, sort of character. Um, Terrence Stamp, who I think is just kind of wasted in this movie in a way. I mean, he's such a he. I think he's such a kind of great presence in in other movies, and to me, it just kind of seemed a little bit. Um, he seemed a, a a bit wasted in this because you're trying. You're you're kind of thinking it's his character is one thing when it's not. Um, and uh, there is uh, the 60s character, the, oh, what's her name? Uh, Anna, Anna Taylor-Joy? Yeah, Anna, Anna Taylor-Joy, like her character. Um, she doesn't get a lot of development, but that's only, she doesn't, she doesn't get that development. You know, I don't think she gets a ton of it in her, in, uh, the the past that were shown, but uh, you know there's there's other things happening that we'll get into later that uh, make that character a little bit more interesting. Um, but for me, what made it was how how much how interesting everything looked on screen. Like the some of those great great like close up shots, like those. You can tell he really, really loves um, genre movie. Like, I, I was thinking to myself as I was watching it, because I know the type of uh, filmmaker that he is and his kind of passion for movies, that I wanted to know what influenced him to make this movie. I wanted to kind of watch the movies that, that he watched to kind of inform this movie and there, there and you sent me this great link that had like 25 pictures of uh uh movies from mainly the the early to late 60s that kind of work within this same kind of world this soho london world and uh and i just watched some of the previous form and i think a majority of you you can watch on youtube right now a majority of them um really kind of live in this world that he's created so the thing that the thing that's interesting about this movie to me is is edgar wright as a filmmaker i'm more interested in his knowledge as a filmmaker and his kind of his passion for movies as a filmmaker more so than i am what he's putting on film if that makes any sense um no, because yeah, I, that totally does. Because I remember listening to a podcast with him and Tarantino, and there, and it was during the pandemic, and it was like they started this little kind of film club, and I, I don't remember what podcast it was, but, uh, it, and it was like they talked for a few hours about like all these different movies, and ninety five percent of the stuff they were talking about, I had no idea, but it didn't matter because they kind of brought those movies to life just by talking about them and talking about the characters and and you know how how it kind of 
it helped them, inspired them to do this or that sort of sort of deal. So I'm I'm very interested in the filmmaker himself and kind of I w- I would I would like to see him do documentaries in a way almost on film than I would to for him to actually make his own films, which I know kind of kind of sounds bad, but it's really not, you know. Um, no, that doesn't sound bad. And Eric, that the Sparks documentary that just came out, like that has stellar reviews because yeah. it's Edgar Wright's style in a documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely, I'm, I definitely want to watch that because I want to see him kind of uh, tackle a different subject in a way. Um, but so, so my my review is. I think people should go see it. I think it is it is top notch filmmaking. It is it is fun storytelling. It will take you for a ride, and it will it'll take you places that that maybe you're not. Uh, you you have to kind of go into it with um like sus- like like a suspending your your disbelief sort of thing because it just kicks right into it and if you don't buy into it sort of thing then you're just going to be out of it the whole time you're gonna be like oh what what what's going on i just bought into it right away i was like okay i know what i know what he what he's doing i'm just gonna see where he takes it sort of thing and i really appreciated that my only problem was it just seemed to be way too much style and way less substance and I wish it could kind of even out in the end. That's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I'm actually pleased. I you, I was worried that you were, well, not worried. Like, you, you can like what you like. But um, I think because I like Edgar Wright so much that I was like, I wanted you to like the movie. And mm. it's funny, like, I think you did. and But it's interesting because I think you liked it for the reasons why I think I thought you would like it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I was like, yeah. Eric's going to like this, the, these elements of the movie. And you totally picked up on all that, like just by describing it there. So yeah, that's cool. Um, totally. So four out of five on Letterboxd then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's better that, I mean, a three is kind of like, Oh yeah, you know, it's okay. Watch it if you want to sort of thing. It might not be for you, but I think, I think it's like, it's a notch up really. I mean, it's, because he is such a strong director and he I could tell that that he really loved those 60s type movies um and that he that's what he was trying to make because that was that was all that I was seeing on screen was just these these great close-ups and these split screens that happen and this use of color and and um just these flashes of of everything that's going on you could really tell this is the story that he wanted to tell or or the the pictures that he wanted to convey and i think he knocked it out of the park in that in that sense yeah awesome totally uh well i'll go then um so the one thing that kept springing to mind while we were watching last night and so and especially um so i i saw it twice I saw it twice on the Dolby screen, which is by far and away the only way to see any movie in 2021 if you live in Nashville, Tennessee, is to see it on the <laughs> Dolby screen um, at the thoroughbred, thoroughbred AMC because it's just <laughs> the best screen. It totally is the best screen. So 
one thing kept playing in my mind is like I, I kept drawing parallels between this movie and Suspiria, the Dario Dario Argento movie, which mm-hmm. I I guess most people I know you've definitely seen it, and like I guess most people listening to this have probably seen the movie. If not, you need to watch the movie. It's incredible. Um, but so there's a few things. So the uses of the use of reds and blues. Um, this is none of this is going to be spoilers for last night in Soho, but like you can you can get this from the trailers even the uses of reds and blues the um so that very hyper stylized visual style um not only that um the the central theme the theme of a young girl who uh moves to a new city to a a bigger city um basically gets off the off the plane or off the train walks into a situation where she is alone in a new new environment and she's thrust into an environment um that is predominantly like a matriarchy which is kind of like where she is so the matriarchy like inside her college when she goes to college um set up between herself and then the girls like the mean girls and then her teachers there um not only that um when she uh, eventually decides to move out and she, she stays in the bed set um um with the elderly lady who rents the place to her she definitely falls into that like structure too um and that lady is uh played by diana rigg who's a very famous british actress um so people might recognize her um i recognized her from uh, james bond and she's also in the avengers the the campy british tv show um that they made a remake of a little while back with Ray Fiennes, I think. Um, but like, so she's like a wonderful, wonderful actress. And unfortunately this was her last movie. She died. I was going to say, yeah, she yeah. passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And then hence, so there's a little, the beginning of the movie is like a for Diana, which I think was pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was watching this movie and then in my head, like that was my frame of reference. So I was using like Suspiria as a frame of reference for this movie. Um, I, it's no surprise, I loved this movie. I adored it. Um, I will have to echo everything Eric says. I think you're right on everything you said. Like, I don't disagree with you. I feel like this movie is a tour de force in filmmaking, um, in energy, in vibe. It's very vibey. Like, that yeah. sounds like a cheesy thing to say, but it is. It's just a total vibe, this movie. And like, I agree with you, Eric, that like you need to let yourself get on board with this movie when you start watching it. If you put up a fight with this movie, I think you could it's gonna irritate you. Um yeah. you have to yeah. like suspend uh belief a little bit and then just kind of like roll with it. The movie starts interestingly, and again, no spoilers, I'm gonna save that. Um, but the main actress um is uh a young actress who I I knew I recognized her from somewhere, but um she plays the cal- the character uh, yeah, she plays uh, Eloise, um, abbreviated to Ellie. Her name is Thomason McKenzie. And you know what she's in, Eric? She's in Old. She's in Old, yeah, but she was in um, Taika Waititi's movie about... Uh... Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit, yeah. Yep, yeah. So, like, I, the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I'm like, she's very familiar to me, and I don't know where mm-hmm. she's familiar from. Uh, and I didn't put it together at the time. So I'm going to come up, like, off the bat and say that, like, in the beginning when the introduction to that character um and it this is probably the bit that got eric's skin crawling because it does open <laughs> like a musical this movie um i did not like her i i was like i was like she feels miscast to me she feels like i don't i don't like her deliver like there was something off about it and i couldn't put my finger on it um but i think that's part of that switcheroo that you're talking about how they mm-hmm. like they they kind of portraying her as one thing um 
And then when she goes to college and she, she moves to the big city, she's an aspiring fashion designer. When she gets there, like, I feel like as her character starts to grow, like in experience things, she, like the actress is like, she does such a wonderful job because she just kind of comes alive, you know? And like in, in, in a way that she's like, she comes alive, but she's also like retreating within herself at the same time. So it's yeah. like this really like cool, like balancing act that she's doing. And I think she's fabulous. I think she's really, really great. Um, I think uh, performance, performance wise for the movie, obviously Diana Rigg is awesome as Miss Collins. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy um, is really, really great. Um, but if like, and obviously this is again, what you said, Eric, like, her character seems very one-dimensional and obviously yeah, very, that's on purpose yeah for very twist. one note yeah yeah because there is there's like a twist which we'll get into in spoilers that there's something's going on and not everything is as it seems with that character and like when you watch the movie a second time which like i did you can because you know that they have to they have to like hold a lot of the cards close to the chest with her so she does initially come off as being a little bit like mm, like i get it she's a very beautiful young girl and she's like engaging and she's like like clearly a talented singer and in in like so there's that element to it but like yeah when you're watching it for the first time you're kind of like Ugh. like she's good but it's kind of like not that interesting um the other performances are great. Um, the there's a young boy who um is at her um Ellie's art college, and uh, he kind of has the hots for her. His name is John, and he's played by a guy called Michael Ajeho Ajeho, I think, pronounced his name, who I'm mm-hmm. totally unfamiliar with. Never seen yeah. him in anything. I thought he was really good. I thought he played like this. He has a very like sweet like like a sweet nice young kid and i thought his performance like he echoed that really well and like his his chemistry with ellie is really great in the movie so performances wise it's solid other than thomas and mackenzie though who i think is like particularly really good in this movie nothing nothing performance wise where you're going to be like oh my god oscars or like that that's like revolutionary and i think this is to do with the writing of the movie i think the the movie's very well written the the movie's written by a lady called christy wilson kens and she is a lady that wrote 1917 the sam mendes movie oh um, wow which is interesting yeah and so I listened to an interview with her and she's pretty interesting. So she actually, she's Scottish. She moved from Glasgow down to London when she went to school, film school. So obviously she's probably tying in a lot of her experiences going to the big city. Um, and like she even says, I mean, Glasgow, if you've ever been, Glasgow is a pretty big city in itself, but it's not like London. You know what I mean? It's kind of like going from, I don't know, like as an example, it's kind of like from going Chicago to New York. Chicago is a big city, but New York's a big, big city. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah. she, she obviously has experience with that. And I think it, it shows in the writing and the, in the situations that Ellie gets herself involved in. There's a really great sequence early on in the movie where Ellie's, uh, on one of her very first nights, if not her first night in halls of residence, uh, where the, the other girls are having a party and they're having a party on like in their like dorm area. And uh, she feels very ostracized and she's like, she's not used to it. She, she wraps herself in a blanket and it's a really well filmed scene. That's like, with like pumping techno music going over the top of it. That's um, obviously you could tell like, like it takes somebody who's actually put themselves in that situation to know experiences like that when you're in those kind of environments, you know what I mean? Mm. So mm-hmm. the writing's good, but the story of the plot itself personally, I don't think is that 
exciting. I think it's it's okay. It's it's pretty rote, I think, especially by the end. It's not like there's nothing like to write home about, no pun intended. Um yeah. so for me, the movie is first and foremost, it's a technical tour de force and it is a vibe and it's a mood. Like if you could do get get yourself an edible before <laughs> before you go and watch this. <laughs> Hit that Delta 8 in the parking lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> like Zach. And then um <laughs> just get yourself in that mind space. I think like this movie is a watch because it's when he's when you watch it on Dolby 2, this the the music plays such a an integral part in this movie and the soundtrack's fabulous. Um that like the sound, like there's just you're just lost in this music and like the music's so loud in the movie and it's all encompassing and it gives you that like euphoric dizzying effect, which I think is intended, um, as the movie switches between the mirror world, which isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailers, but there's like there's a mirror reality to everything that's going on with Ellie and Anna and Anya uh Anya Taylor Joy's character. So there is like in, in the, when the movie transitions between the two things, the music comes alive in like the whole thing's very, very clever, I think. Um, but there's not really too much else I can say about my review of the movie until we get into spoilers, really, because everything else I'm going to say is just a straight up spoiler. <laughs> yeah. So No, same. Yeah, same. Same. Yeah. So for me, Eric gave it a four on his letterbox, on Eric's uh, letterbox <laughs> scale. I'm going to give this a 4.5. Um, for me, it's one of my favorite movie going experiences of the entire year. Um, yeah. I love the movie dearly. Um, I think it's, it's wonderful. Um, it is not going to be for everybody though. And I, and it's not going to, God bless him. It's not going to stand up to a lot of people's scrutiny. If you're the kind of person that's going to pull a movie apart, if you're a kind of person that, if it, just like Eric said, it's style over substance. I, I, in all honesty, but the style is so great that it gets mm-hmm. a pass for me. And yeah. it's essentially to bring it back to Suspiria, Suspiria is literally the definition of style of a substance because Suspiria <laughs> is a terrible movie, but it's such <laughs> a phenomenal looking movie that it yeah. gets a pass. So it's in that wheelhouse. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So that concludes uh, part two of our podcast um, in this episode on last night in Soho. I'm going to interject something here. I have no idea what, but I'll figure something out and we'll return for part three (laughs) where we're going to get into spoilers. Welcome back. Um, this is part three of our episode. Uh, and this is going to be our discussion where we're going to keep going on a deeper dive into Last Night in Soho. And we're just going to open it up. Spoilers galore. So you've been warned. If you're listening now, I think we're doing this, splitting the episodes up like this as a courtesy for you, the listener. So I hope <laughs> you appreciate it. Please do not listen any further than right now. Yeah. Okay, so okay. go for it, Eric. Um. What I thought was really interesting, uh, in the beginning, you're meant to think that that uh, uh, 
Ellie. That's the character's name, right? I'm getting that right. Ellie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It has a mental illness. Like she's mentally ill somehow. Um, and when she is seeing her mother in the mirror, you're supposed to read it as she's she's seeing her as having a fond remembrance or something like that. Uh, is supposed to be kind of telegraphed it, 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 in a way uh, for uh, Ellie's uh, comfort or her perspective, and that's how she sees it. But what happens uh, that I think is really interesting is when she gets to the big city, and and she has, and she continues to kind of have that almost um, sheltered mentality as she's surrounded by people, you know, you're, you're meant to think, oh, she just can't handle like the, this chaos of, uh, of this, of the way that she has to live now. And then she kind of moves to that, uh, to that little apartment and um, where she kind of comes alive in a way. And, and she starts kind of experiencing this, uh, this otherworldly um, uh vision in a way or experience in a way that uh that kind of helps to elevate her character well it's it's not that it's not that she's mentally ill it's that she is super sensitive to um supernatural things and if you pick up on it early enough you can tell that she is she's picking up on everything so that the 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 presence of the mother in the mirror is actually the her mother you know it's it's the kind of ghost of her mother um always watching over her and when she's uh in the apartment she's kind of getting all this the psychic vibes from from all these dead people and um Anna, Anna Taylor uh Anna Taylor Joy is that right yeah Mm-hmm. yeah her her uh her character um sandy. she's able to kind of, sandy yes that's what, sandy she's able to kind of uh pick up on on all this kind of psychic energy that has surrounded that building and that's how she kind of teleports or transports herself uh into that into those kind of that the those kind of deeper recesses of that kind of psyche that is surrounding that entire building and and uh the older woman too so i i thought it was super interesting that you're meant to think that she is mentally incapable of of dealing with uh these sorts of stresses but in actuality she's just super sensitive to kind of supernatural beings so it kind of it kind of does this this neat little one 180 in a way if you pick up on it and and that's why that's what i meant by kind of buying into what's happening uh right from the beginning you know if you if you don't then like you said earlier it's really going to irritate you right off the bat yeah totally because she comes across quite irritating like she has yeah. like a like uh, the way she speaks she has that kind of like a baby baby doll kind yeah. of voice where she's kind of yeah. like very like in like 
the 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 weakness that you assume that her character has is yeah you're totally right she's essentially what she is is she's like an antenna she is yeah. like um she is she can vibrate with the frequency of wherever she is which is like yeah like i guess like a gift that she has and then when she goes puts herself in that situation where she leaves from the countryside to go to the big city um she's just basically surrounded by so much energy on like a psychic level especially in like living in those halls of residence and then when she wraps herself in a blanket she puts her headphones on it's like yeah she's like dull, dulling the antenna it's almost like she just needs to be like shut off from it so when she does uh decide to leave that environment because it's just it's too much for her she, she goes mm. to live in the um the apartment building um uh, where the old lady rents the apartment out to her when she goes upstairs she goes in that room um you can see like she lets her guard down and she opens up and because she's so sensitive yeah then she's a she's allowed to basically um she can get in that 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 spot where she starts to basically transfer between her like the present time and then through to the swinging sixties in London and she basically like starts to time travel in a way and starts to um and and all of this is caused I'm guessing by uh, I spoiler for the movie yeah like the 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 violence in in the trauma that has occurred in that building is basically like allowing her to like phase between realities i guess in a way and the the edgar wright does something really clever and this is where the blues and the reds start to come in and when you watch the movie again you start to see how he signals what's happening so for the most part when ellie is working at her day job at the bar when she's during the day when she's at school she's at college and she's doing her courses or where she's interacting with any of her friends the movie uses all standard sets standard lighting when she goes back to uh, her apartment and she gets herself ready to go to bed, she's basically, she does this routine and you, you could, you can see it being telegraphed the second time you watch it. So she'll put a record on. Um, and obviously it's, it's, she's very into like sixties music. So she'll put a, a, an old record on and you'll see her turn the dial and the light turns on, on the record player. And he makes a point of showing it every single time the light turns mm -hmm. on music comes up. And then the music obviously is a form of nostalgia for a time that she's never lived in. But in a way what's happening is it's like, it's almost like a ritual that she's doing, which is allowing her to get to the point where she can move back in time. So she puts the music on, she lays in her bed, she wraps herself in a blanket in the, the apartment where she lives in the French restaurant that sits below it, which has a very funny thing if you actually watch it when the camera moves past the french restaurant it's literally called the french restaurant yeah. <laughs> that's the name of the <laughs> restaurant which i think is pretty funny so the neon sign that's out there obviously a throwback to in london and soho which is like london's red light district red light district um all of the neon signs so the the signs go in red blue red blue red blue and it keeps changing which is also kind of like a thing that they use in hypnotism too where they use those two interchanging colors to to hypnotize people so the 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 cam the the whole scene starts getting filled with these reds and blues reds and blues the music comes on and then it's like you could it's basically that's the phase and then she'll phase through and then she finds herself in in the 60s um following um Anna Taylor Joy's character Sandy uh in what initially seems just like a rags to riches she's kind of besotted with it because she's like everything that Ellie isn't really in a way she's 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 very openly confident she's beautiful she has this long blonde hair she's very stylish and um very self-assured and you just assume that it's going to be 
I mean, we yeah. know something shady is going to happen, but like, yeah, you, they, at yeah, the time, you think it's, you know, yeah, you think it's all going to go, it's all going to go out perfectly fine. Everything's going to come together and, and everything's going to work out and it just turns horribly tragic. <laughs> yeah. And cause essentially what happens really is the lines start to blur between, so it's like she's phasing in and out. And then eventually what happens is the lines start to blur between what's her real, like the reality in her real world and her dream world. And they start to like merge where things start to carry, carry over. And she's having like visions during the day. She's having visions that keep coming. And obviously it's because she, she's aware of the fact that like something traumatic was happened to Sandy in, um, when she starts basically getting prostituted by this guy who she believes is going to be like her knight in shining armor, um, is basically turns out to be a pimp. Um, and then like, yeah, so like the, the, and then, and as the, the realities collide and things, and she starts to try and uncover what exactly went down, her mental state starts deteriorating. And I think she does a really fabulous job of portraying that where she starts to like, you know what I mean? Like significantly break down. Um, yeah. as a person yeah. which I think is you know good I agree with you though this is a tangent but I agree with you on Terrence Stamp like I think Terrence, Terrence Stamp is a phenomenal actor actor yeah. um, you know like in the limey bloody hell like so many movies yeah so um, many and, yeah. yeah and like he has such a such a presence and he's so steel faced and he has those blue eyes those like icy blue eyes and he's like very he's such a he's such a like interesting looking human um it comes across a little bit to Adam's family-ish. Like, I don't know if it's how Stamps playing him or the way he's written, but he, he just comes across a little too goonish to me, like a little too, a little too yeah. hammy, you know, like pantomime Yeah, as a because bad he's, guy. he's like, he's almost um, stuck in that time period, you know, that, that 60s uh, time period, because he still dresses the same almost. And so yep. he, he didn't kind of, he didn't age out of the period sort sort of way. So you're you're meant to to look at him like, oh, you know, this is the you know, this is the bad guy. This is the guy we're supposed to be following. We we kind of we know what's going on, but in actuality, you know, there's a little twist at the end where, you know, he's not the bad guy, he's the good guy and he's Yeah. He was like He's like a red herring. Yeah, yeah, he's another one. So there's there's like a couple of those in there that you know, if if you're if you're not paying attention or or you haven't kind of bought into the whole thing, it's gonna it's gonna almost come off as as corny or cheesy in a way. But if you buy into it right away, then you'll get it. Oh yeah, totally. And like I noticed it, I noticed this first time around. I'm not one of these people that I I don't genuinely do, and I don't like pride myself on being like, oh, I figured out the twist, or I figure, I figure. Like, I'm not trying to figure it out in advance. I kind of like, I like, I like to let movies tell me what's happening. Um, so I'm not like trying to crack the code. But it's pretty obvious the first time we watched it, and I don't know if you realize this, but like, she actually meets Terrence Stamp, um, Sandy. Uh, Anna Taylor Joy's character, she meets Terrence Stamp early on in one of the flashbacks. Early on, yeah. And basically, he's one of the gentlemen yeah. that comes to a table and introduces himself to her when she's getting prostituted, which is a pretty interesting scene. That whole sequence where it's like every single time it's a different guy, and he's like, What's your name, darling? And then she tells him a name. It's a different name every time. And he's like, That's a pretty name. That's a pretty name. That's a pretty name. And it keeps yeah. going through. And it's, it's, it's a good like montage, uh, like showing time. 
But um, she does meet him. And like, I realized straight away, I was like, well, that's Terrence Stamp because the character has blue eyes. Yeah. And like, I was like, and then she's like, I don't, I don't speak to cops. So straight away, I was like, well, he's like some kind of a vice cop and he's trying to tell her to get out of it, um, to not go any further yeah. down this line. <clears throat> so it's, to me, it was kind of obvious that that's who Terrence Stamp was. Even the movie, even though the movie is trying to make you think that it's actually the character Jack, who is played by Matt Smith, who's the Doctor Who, um, that that guy who's yeah. like the bad guy. I think the movie wants you to think that that Terrence Stamp is Jack in the future, you know, all grown up. Yeah, um, yeah. And they do do a pretty good job of like conveying that. And yeah, right. Like he does still dress very sixties. He hasn't really moved on. He's still doing that. All right, darling. Uh, I know your mother. Do- like that. Yeah. Cockney kind of like douchebag slimy like 60s shit still doing that um yeah but yeah like so i realized that it wasn't him but like the twist the ultimate twist is that um now major spoilers so miss collins who's the, the the sweet old lady who rents out the apartment building to um to eloise so we it's obvious that that's the same room. So the room that she's renting is the same room that when she travels back in time to um see Sandy, it's the same same apartment. So it figures that um as Miss Collins tells her when she moves in, she's like, Hey, I, I bought this place for like I got it for a steal years ago from the owners and I just kept it. Now I just rent it out to ladies who come through town and they want to like get a break. Um so obviously the twist is surprise, surprise, that Sandy is actually Miss Collins in the future and um yeah. how she managed to to break that cycle of abuse is she basically started killing everybody that came over and st- was like um <laughs> all of her everybody yeah, everybody yeah. and like had some pretty good um very like uh giallo style like knife scenes where she's stabbing people and like it's like knives going in the face and in the throat and in the neck and like there's some pretty effective like yeah. um use of that like montage like jump cut kind of stuff that he does um so yeah, she's basically, to my understanding, she's like she's so she's basically burying the bodies within the walls of this building, and so this building is just like, it's built on skeletons at this point. By the time that um, Ellie moves in there, so she so obviously it's like one of the situations where all they're basically reaching out to her for help, and they're like, "Help us, help us! We need to move on." You know what I mean? We've been wronged. We've been wronged. Yeah, and then. It's a nice twist how she's like, no, fuck you guys. You know what I mean? You deserved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't think she she totally understood the situation that she was oh, in not at all. while she was in yeah, it. You not know? at all. It was, she was just always, yeah, because she's told by that character, you know, like people people die in every room in all of London. So there's there's tons of ghosts in this city. So I think that's how uh, how that information is conveyed to Ellie. That's how we're supposed to accept it as an audience when in actuality all the ghosts that are kind of pursuing her are within her vicinity because they're they're basically they're next to her in a wall they're in the floor they're in the ceiling they're everywhere you know so she can't escape it at all yeah yeah it's 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 pretty cool and like it it doesn't it for me though it it I I I I I like how the end it wrapped the the story up and like I enjoyed it, but it wasn't anything specific. It wasn't like particularly exciting or thrilling. I think at the end, um, yeah, which is a shame because there's so much so much cool shit going on visually that like it's a shame that the the story didn't keep up with it. 
as much, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the story. Yeah, I think that was like, yeah, my main thing with it. It was like, you didn't get any real depth to, to any of the characters, you know, like the, the kind of bitchy roommate or the, you know, that, that girl, uh, that woman, young woman, um, she stayed that way the entire time. It's like there, there was no, there was no growth in that character. Yep. And, um, and there was no real growth with the boyfriend. There was no, there was even no, there wasn't any growth with the grandmother sort of thing. So it's just, I understand that, that, uh, the character of Ellie was meant to hold this entire movie. And I mean, that's a, that's, that's quite a, um, weight to kind of carry on your back but she had to do it sort of thing so luckily i I think she pulled it off to a degree you know i mean um but for me it was like it's about the spectacle of what's on of what's on the screen and um the kind of the plot and the character growth and like all that other stuff just kind of took a far back seat um because there's a certain point where um uh the character is so just traumatized by everything that's going on around her i mean she changes her appearance she changes her physical appearance and she's running around telling people that about a 40 50 year old murder that's happened and and she knows it sounds crazy and and she goes to the police and tells them and at no point is is they're not going to be any advocate who steps in and says you know what i think you need a timeout sort of thing because you're not handling the situation very well and then she tries to stab that girl unbeknownst to herself in the middle of the library that's like that's attempted murder i'm pretty sure yeah that, <laughs> i mean how, how, how do you explain that one yeah no way? totally yeah. And, and not to be like one of those people though like not to be like well technically that would be a crime and, and she would get yeah. you know what i mean because like it just <laughs> yeah. take the window the sales of the yeah. movie a bit if you if you do that but yeah i know, yeah, I know what yeah. you mean though like yeah. i think like like there was significant warning signs for people to be like something's deeply wrong with this young lady and like like I think that maybe with the fact that she she took herself away from that school environment and she was living on her own, I feel like that obviously, like, well, A, it made things worse, but B, I think it also kept us separated yeah. enough where people would just be like, she's just crazy, you know what I mean? Because they were directly yeah, dealing yeah, with her on yeah. a daily basis, where I think there would be some kind of intervention yeah. or like you would think that like the college would like, Hey, you need to see a counselor. Like, is everything going okay? You know what I mean? Um, but it's true though. Cause I did think about that though, when she does, uh, she's basically attacking the visions with the knife. And it turns out that obviously that girl, uh, the, uh, the, like the kind of like bitchy college bully she's at, and she almost stabs her until, until the kid grabs her arm. Um, but you're right though. That would be like in London, that with a knife crime like that <laughs> it, in a public place in a library, there would be hell on about that. You know what I mean? They'd be like, <laughs> that was pretty, pretty cool though. But like, I think if I had to, yeah, I mean, I can excuse all that. The thing is, is I can excuse all that because I bought into the movie early on. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't fault it for those things that I'm kind of bringing up, but I mean, it still stands to, to be brought up because of, 
um, because people might go into it and, and they're thinking, well, that was just kind of the whole kind of absurdity of the whole thing. But that that's why I keep kind of reiterating, you have to, like, right off the bat, you have to just say, I buy into this movie totally. Yeah, because he's trying to take you on a ride. And he's trying to, he's trying to, yeah, like, exactly. he's, 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 He's taking you on a ride sonically and visually. He's he's teleporting you back to the past. Like the 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 sets in the in the in the, in the nightclubs and the places where she performs. Um, in like the lighting, everything is in like the super heightened visual style when it does the flashbacks, yeah. which yeah. is definitely like jarring. But it's like it's so effective, and he's so effective. It like he's so. He pulls it off. He just masterfully pulls off that transition between like the dream world and like um like in like I said before, it is a vibe. It's a total vibe. Like you've just got to be like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna vibe with this movie for a little bit. I'm just gonna. It's like it's kind of like it's if it feels more like a record than a movie. It's like a really cool record that you put on where you're like, oh, that's interesting. I I think like yeah it, it's demanding as much of you to listen to it as it is that you watch it which is kind of cool yeah. um which is a cool trick i think there was a few things that i like i didn't particularly care for it's nitpicky things but um so earlier on when um jack uh takes sandy he's basically trying to impress sandy and he's like i'm gonna get you an audition i'm gonna get you an audition so you could try to be like the next big singer um and it's funny because when they first go to the um, Café de Paris and he, she first meets Jack, um, Scylla Black is singing. And it's funny because um, Scylla Black, if you're English, she uh, was a, a famous singer in the like 60s, swinging 60s, but she ended up being a TV presenter. And she had a television show called Surprise, Surprise. And um, I used to watch it with my grandmother all the time. So I and she's from Liverpool, uh, Silla Black, and she's got a really thick Scouse accent. So it was really cool to see mm. her as as a young woman singing. And then you realize just how amazing Silla Black was as a singer. Like, she's amazing. But, like, she just grew up to be, like, England's grandma on TV. You know what I mean? And, she, and she'd, and she'd <laughs> sing the theme songs yeah. to her TV shows. So, like, surprise, surprise, she had, like, this big theme song she'd sing. And I can still remember it when I was from being a kid. So I loved that. I love that. I don't know if you'll get that if you're American. Um, and I feel like if you're, if you're claiming that you get that, then you're just kind of lying and being a hipster because nobody listens to Scylla Black. <laughs> Scylla Black's fucking awesome, but nobody's listening to it. So like, I've read a few reviews where like, um, on like, uh, a few reviews where people are like talking about the use of Scylla's music and like, as if they know who she is. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> he's he's very good at doing that like Tarantino style like pulling in really cool old songs giving them a new spin but my my issue is so um Sandy does this audition and she sings a cappella and she sings uh Downtown that the famous song and um now it turns out that's actually Anya Taylor-Joy singing that's she can actually sing oh, like that sorry. so she's just very gifted obviously um and I guess it took everybody by surprise. I, I was listening to Edgar Wright saying like he didn't expect her to be able to sing that good. He thought when he asked her if she could sing, she would just be like most actresses and be like, oh, yeah, I can sing as long as it didn't like stop her getting the role in the movie. But then um, it turns out she can sing phenomenally. My this is really nitpicky. But so when she sings, it's it's super great. She sings, though, as a musician, like I don't know if many people get this, but like there's inflections in 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 the like her diction when she sings is very modern 
She does like this very modern, oh. she has this very modernized style of singing, um, which would not, she, w- she wouldn't have sang like that in the 60s. And if you listen to it, if you know what I'm talking about and you listen to it, you can tell she's doing like a lot of that, like, it's like, it's hard to describe, but like there's, there's a lot of like modernist, like kind of like styling to her singing. And for me, that's a little jarring when I watched it, especially second time, because I was kind of like, it sounds like Florence and the Machine is singing this rather than somebody in the 60s. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's yeah. a nitpick. I mean, I could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you saying that, I mean, I, I know how much of a kind of audiophile or, you know, that you are. So. I mean, I, I know how much you kind of listen to this podcast to put it together, so. If anybody's going to pick up on it, I mean, I kind of trust your ear on that. Yeah, and it's not a big deal. And I mean, like, it it doesn't it it slightly breaks immersion. It it does the second time around, and like, but seeing it again for the second time just cemented everything I liked about it. And like, I did want to talk about one scene specifically, and this this really showcases how fucking good Edgar Wright is. Um, it putting certain like. Some things that he does, they're on and off screen and they take like two seconds, but it's so thought out and so deliberate. Like if you didn't actually stop, you would like totally wouldn't even realize. But there's a scene earlier on where they go out. It's on the first night um, at uh, the college. They go out and they go to the bar, which is the bar. It's called the Toucan, I believe it is. And it's the bar where Ellie ultimately ends up working. They go downstairs and they go into the yeah. bathroom and she's sitting in the stall next to him. And then the mean girls come in and they open up the bathroom stall. And they're basically like that girl, uh, I think uh, Jocasta is her name. She's basically like talking smack yeah. about Ellie. And anyway, she goes down to do a line, right? Coke. And um, what's really cool is, so the camera goes, it's full up frontal with her Jocasta. She takes the the rolled up um, five pound note or whatever it is. She goes down as she bends down she starts snorting from left to right, okay? So the camera and the sound, so the camera stays still. The sound starts on the left-hand side of the screen as you're watching it in the Dolby surround, and you hear her snorting the coke, right? And as it gets to the middle, the sound, (laughs) the screen flips, and it goes to uh, a taxi driving by, and the sound matches where the taxi is on the screen, which is halfway through where she's snorting that line of coke, and it runs off to the other side of the screen. So it seamlessly goes from her snorting the coke halfway across into the sound of a taxi taking off. And it's all seamlessly done. And that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it is so clever when you watch it because it totally (laughs) works and it just seamlessly works. So he's doing shit like that throughout the whole movie And it's done in a way where it's so hidden that you can't tell what he's doing. But like the thought that must have gone into that. I can't imagine, you know, like you said, he's making movies for filmmakers almost because I think he is. I I think a regular, I think a regular audience isn't going to pick up on those small things um, that he kind of throws in there, Um, which is, which is really cool, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't pick up on any of that stuff and I'm sure there's a bazillion other little things in there that, uh, only kind of people in the know are going to be like, Oh, this or that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, I hats off to him for that. Oh yeah. Like, um, especially like when we were going through that indie wire list that I sent you of like 25 movies, Edgar Wright used as, uh, reference points for this movie yeah yeah there was only like yeah. one of them that i'd ever heard of and i haven't even seen it 
um, but the rest of it I'd never seen, like none of them. So you can tell he's got that. Like, no, yeah, same, yeah. same. Yeah. He has that kind of almost like, that, like with Tarantino, that encyclopedic knowledge of, of film um, that God, I just want him to make a film about film, you know, because I think it would be phenomenal. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I kind of, for me, I, what I'd like to see him do is I'd like, to, well, I would love to see him make something else with Simon Pegg, like to go back, which I think he will do at some point. I'm sure they'll reunite and do something again. But like, I, I, I want to see him matched with somebody who's going to give him, give him something like meaty enough to really sink his teeth into. So like he can, he can like yeah. elevate something that's already really, really substantial. So like, and I feel like, um, baby driver is baby driver is the same it's so wafer thin and so kind of like like n- n- not it's not really interesting the story at all um he needs some he needs something really well written i think yeah you're right like if he could take something and like i don't know like something that like i'm i don't know too much about like script writers or like the script writing process or like screenwriters or anything like that but like so i don't know mm-hmm. i couldn't say like this person would be a good person but like someone along the lines of like um i don't know like like say like even alex garland he's a really good writer like i feel like he just needs he needs something more more fitting to his level of talent to balance him yeah uh, yeah i mean i if if i would love to see him make a tarantino script to be honest yeah something like that would be really good cuz yeah yeah, because because he's stylistically enough, he's up for the challenge, and Tarantino is a a a dialogue master. I mean, he's truly a master, and um, and I think Edgar Wright is a master when it comes to presentation of film. So I think the two, I think the both of them, like doing a project together, would just be. Uh, earth shattering in a way i mean it would be like a once in a lifetime sort of thing and i think i think they could make something really special yeah if they if it ever did happen you know no totally because um right is a lot like spike jones um and a lot like um mm-hmm. what's his face who did uh be kind rewind um uh signs of sleep um oh, i forgot his name uh oh yeah I just left. Yeah, it left. Yeah, his his yeah, name's gone. But uh, all Michelle Michelle Gondry. Gondry. Yeah, Gondry. Uh, Eternal Sunshine's yeah. Boss Mind. Yeah. Now, yeah, Wright is like those filmmakers. Whereas Wright obviously cut his teeth with music videos. Now, Wright was not known for music videos like Gondry and um, Spike Jones were. Like they're specifically known for music videos, and Spike Jones known for skate videos too. So like, was was Wright didn't have that like heritage or like that like of like notoriety um and experience you can still tell he's cut from that same cloth of a filmmaker where he's like he's used to making things work in like a short like like it's almost like those guys understand how to make three minutes work really really well so when they're given something like over an hour and a half it allows them to like run free with their imagination but what you need is you need something to to tether that like untapped imagination and keep it like actually focused and interesting because like there's only so much like clever shit you can do 
if the story itself isn't like weighty enough. Now, Spike Jones was lucky in the sense that like, I don't know if Spike Jones, well, he had Charlie Kaufman write a lot of stuff, didn't he? So I think Jones mm. had a good writer who he was tied up with, like for uh, being John Markovich and what have you. Like, um, Gondry, though, didn't have a really good writer, which is why I think movies like um, uh, Be Kind Rewind, uh, they, they're not really as successful. Um, I don't know if you saw um, Gondry mm. did a TV show for Netflix with... Um, uh Jonah Hill um a little while back um and it's like it's oh, you know what I'm talking about yeah 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 I do know what you're talking about. I didn't watch yeah, it. yeah it's really good but it's along those lines too where you kind of like this guy is so much imagination and he's so talented but like you detach from it after a while you know um yeah so yeah. like yeah he's def I put him in that wheelhouse and like so yeah definitely top tier talent no doubt um Moving forward, I just hope he gets back with Peg. I hope he, I don't know. I'd like to see him do a science fiction movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it would do well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but no one, I've got a feeling he's going to end up, well, I mean, he is doing a science fiction movie. He's doing The Running Man. <laughs> but like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely going to watch it though. So I'm curious to see what the casting is going to be like for that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even. No. <laughs> oh, who knows? Who knows? Um, okay, so that I mean I don't really have much else to say about it other than like I highly recommend no. I highly recommend it. I think um I think like you you could there's far worse things you could see at the cinema than than last night in Soho. I think uh if especially if you're already an existing Rife fan, you're just gonna love it. It's just he's giving you more of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. Well that concludes last night in soho um we'll do a little bit of housekeeping before we go um i would really like somebody to send in a voicemail <laughs> please um <laughs> and I'm, i've gone back to begging again so i'm just gonna stop begging this is like the begging section where i beg you to send in voicemails um <laughs> even if it's like i don't know it could be on anything just give us some you know like like it'd be nice to have a little bit of a I don't know how many people realistically are listening to this podcast, but if you are, um, we, um, we're totally up for the dialogue, Eric and I, like, we love it. Like we, we definitely want to have like some yeah. feedback and like, um, or questions or like, you know, like just to, you know, it's always fun to like extend the conversation on things. So please, if you are listening and you have something you'd like to talk about, or you'd like to see us cover, or you have like any thoughts on something we've said, um, any corrections, which I'm sure there's going to be a shit ton of them. Um, please reach yeah. out. It's pretty straightforward to do. You just go to our, um, on our link tree on our Instagram page or on our anchor.com. It's like slash movies last night or whatever. The, even if you listen on Apple, on Apple podcasts, when you scroll to the bottom, there's a little link you can click on and you can go there and you can just send a voicemail. Um, if you don't want to do the voicemail, because we would cut it into the podcast, if you don't want to do that and you want to contact us, you can do it through our Instagram too. And then just send us a message, you know, and like uh, we could, you could do it that way too. And like all feedback would be very, yeah. very greatly appreciated. Um, yeah, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, before we head off, Eric, um, we'll do our usual recommendations. Is there anything you want to recommend? Um, no, the only thing I really watched was this movie. And then I I looked into that list uh, that you sent me from IndieWire um, of all those uh, 60s 
sixties movies and a lot of them look super interesting and I, a large majority of them are free on YouTube. So if you go to IndieWire, you can, there's probably uh, an article up that says, you know, 25 films that Edgar Wright was influenced by watch any of those. I mean, they're for free. So it, it's bound to be fun somehow or another. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's there's going to be some good stuff on there, and, and like you you won't have seen them. Like I'm I'm telling you that right now. Like if you're listening to this, you won't yeah. have seen those movies. <laughs> um, if you have, then you're some yeah. kind of like like weird film film geek. But like no, yeah, there's a ton of stuff on that <laughs> list. Um, I don't really haven't really been watching much. Um, I um recently finished uh season three of You on Netflix, which is a super trashy like thriller TV show with that uh, Penn Badgley, um, Eric, you'd hate it. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's like a CW show on like steroids on like crack. And, um, it's just very, very ridiculous. And if you like the previous seasons of you, you'll, you're going to love this one. It's more of the same. It's very trashy. It's very, very fun. Very, very fun. So I would recommend that to anybody. Um, I started watching squid game. Um, and I watched like, two episodes maybe and then i just fast forwarded through the next three episodes while i was just like i was working on something so i just kept fast forwarding to see if there's any cool deaths or anything happening and it's it's not really for me um i know it's huge right now and everybody's talking about it like it might be something i'd give another shot to but like it seems pretty cool it's like interesting and like um i'm always up for anything korean you know what i mean like so um yeah might be worth checking out if that's if if you haven't already seen it but i'm guessing pretty much everybody's seen it at this point um i think yeah yeah. um but other than that nothing no movies um we're not sure what we're going to do next week so do we have a plan for our next episode i don't think so um it, it might be like dealer's choice sort of thing Unless we can get out to see uh, Last Duel, if it's still out, because it, it supposedly it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah, and no one's seen Last Duel has reviewed better than all of these movies that we're talking about right now. It's reviewed better than June. It's reviewed yeah. better than French Dispatch. It's reviewed better than Last Night in Soho. And for some reason, it's just nobody's going to see it, ourselves included. Um, I think the subject yeah. matter is a little heavy for people, and I don't know if people are really like. I don't know how much people want to go and see a movie about rape and like, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's interesting though that like it's, it's bombed so hard. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It makes me want to go see it. I know totally. And like, um, I know some people have put up defense, uh, articles for it and like, um, Stuckman did a video on it and like what people should see this movie. People need to see the movie. It's Ridley Scott for crying out loud. You know what I mean? So like, I know, I know. I, I doubt we're going to ca- catch that in the theatre. I, I really want to see French Dispatch in theatre. We'll see if we can make that work for next week. I don't know. Um, failing that, yeah, we might just do a random one and pull like a, a dealer's choice and it's my turn. So if we do do something, yeah. I kind of fancy doing something older, um, something fun, something interesting, um, probably from not this decade. Or if you if you send in a message... I, I mean, give us a suggestion. Yeah, we'll do it. Maybe we'll watch what you want us yeah. to. Within reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If it's just... No musicals. Yeah. Especially... Yeah. We'll do Fiddle on the Roof for Eric. Um, yeah, there no, you go. But I uh, guess yeah, send in a recommend. Maybe it'll 
get our attention up. And we'll, I have a list that I've been like accruing over time of things that I want to talk about with you. I want to, I want to hear what you think about. So we might do something like that. We'll see. We'll keep it fresh. Cool. cool. Well, thanks, Eric. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, I hope you have a great evening or a great day, depending on when you're listening to this. And um, please tell your friends about our show. Uh, please uh, leave a positive review if you can on uh, helps us get <laughs> listens, but don't leave a review if it's negative. Um, I'll just, just don't leave a review. <laughs> I, I can't handle, I can't, my ego can't handle that, that much of a knock. <laughs> okay. All right. See, see you guys. guys.